Good morning, everybody. So we are looking at Acts chapter 14 today. If you haven't caught on this, we tried to put this in the broadcast this week. So each week, it's a different chapter, just rolling right through, uh, 14 today, 15 next week, 16 the following week. So if you ever want to read ahead to see where we're going, so you can kind of get the storyline and everything, some great stories, you can do that. So you can read ahead this week for chapter 15 to figure out what's going on. So let's just read this. I want to read it because it's just a really cool story. We're going to talk about perseverance, and you'll catch on why we are talking about perseverance in just a second because, man, our boy Paul really goes through it. Acts 14, verse 1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now check out what they do in verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. That's the first shot across the bow that lets us know Oh, my goodness. These guys have adversity, and instead of them staying a shorter amount of time, they're going to stay a longer amount of time. Now, watch what comes next. All right, so speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of uh, his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. Luke really wants us to know this guy has never walked. Okay? You see, he does that. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up, began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language that gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He's provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, He got up, and where did he go? Right back into the city that stoned him. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city, won a large number of disciples. Then, check this out, then they returned to Lystra, where he was stoned. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Let's stop right there. My goodness, are you serious? That is some incredible 
incredible perseverance. You know, when I have a cold, I have a hard time persevering. This guy is getting stoned, stoned in biblical stoning way, right? He's getting stoned and he just continues absolutely on. It's phenomenal. After he gets stoned, he goes back into the city that stoned him. And then he goes on to Derby. And when he's done, he comes back to the scene of the crime where they stoned him before. Are you serious? What drives this guy to persevere? What, what causes him to hang in there? Would you, would I, amidst all that adversity? The Bible talks a lot about standing up in, in the midst of adversity. It talks a lot about perseverance. Let's check it out. I put a bunch of them for you on that blue brochure on the back. I got four verses. Hebrews 10, 36 says, we, we need to persevere. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Got to persevere so we receive what he's promised. All right, that's really good. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible says, love always perseveres. If you are a loving person, if you want to be a loving person, well, then you have to persevere. You got to persevere. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Could be a harvest, could be right around the corner for you, but if you give up, if you give up, you might not receive the harvest. This is what Galatians is talking about here. Finally, James 1, 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, wow. You know, perseverance, very, very difficult thing. You know, so we all face problems. Speak to us today. What should each one of us do about the difficult situation that some of, are facing, some of us are facing right at this moment? What should we do when the next difficulty comes along? What do we do? Help us, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. The word persevere means this. To continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty. We see here that Paul is not walking away. Isaiah 62 says, God calls people to stand like watchmen on the wall, to not give up and walk away. You had to protect the walls of the city when that was written. And so he says, you've got to stand your post. You can't walk away. You've been called to stand a post. You can't leave. Anybody ever see the movie Gladiator, Russell Crowe, Gladiator? Anybody? Any hands? Okay, some people have seen it. All right, you remember the opening scene of that, the big battle at the beginning? So Russell Crowe's on his horse. He's got all of his guys, and they're flying down the hillside on the horses. And what is he screaming? Hold the line. Hold the line. Persevere. Do not break the line. Don't leave your post. This is exactly what's happening here. Paul has been called by God to hold the line, to stand the post, and he's not giving up. And what I want to know today is, where does this guy get that perseverance from? Is he just a persevering kind of guy? Is that just who he is? Or is there something else that's driving his perseverance? Because we receive a blessing from God. We reap a harvest if we will persevere. And I want to know how I can be a persevering person. How can I have that? Some of us this morning are thinking about walking away. Some of us this morning think about walking away. Some of us have already walked away. Some of us are going to confront something soon. It's going to be adversity, and we're going to think about walking away. Now, in which ways? There's a million different ways we could talk about. But some of us are thinking about walking away from God. Some of us have allowed our relationship with God to go cold. It's just cold. You say, hey, man, I'm here at church. I know. 
Some of us go to church just because it's a thing we always do. But we know, we know deep inside that spiritually we're cold, we're closed to God, we have, we've just got that relate, and we're not planning on making any changes to it. It's just the way it is. Some of us, God has put a call on our life, whether that's to be a husband or to be a father or to be a good worker or to be a person of character, to live your life in a certain way. God has this call on your life, and you're like, man, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm going to walk away from that. Some of us are thinking about walking away from the Bible. In which way? Well, the Bible talks a lot about our character. It talks about our calendar. It talks about our money, our sexual life, who we hang out with, who do we date. It talks about these things. And some of us might say, you know what? <laughs> I've had it. I'm up to here with, you know, this. And so I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. I'm walking away. I'm walking away. You know, I'm like, I'm going to try to keep a good front on the outside for the most part, but I, 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 I'm walking away. And some of us like, we don't even care. I'm just like totally walking. I don't care what anyone says. Some of us are thinking about walking away from our spouse. Now, I'm not talking about just physically, although that's so obvious when you do. But how about emotionally? Because that happens a lot. That's epidemic. We're no longer open to our spouse. We've emotionally closed down. When we should be opening up, we're really closed. We're really closed. We don't talk the way we should to each other. We don't spend the time that we should to each other. We don't treat each other with respect, whether it's our spouse or our kids or whatever. We have walked away. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We've grown cold. We've grown cold. And we're not going to do anything to change it. Here's what General Douglas MacArthur says about quitting. Age wrinkles the body. Quitting wrinkles the soul. Quitting wrinkles the soul. So, who are you, who you rooting for tonight in the Super Bowl? We got a lot of giants. I heard one person say to Patriots... That's tough. I mean, because, you know, after the Spygate thing and the hiring the Rams guy who had been the Denver's guy, I mean, you, the Patriots are almost like just a step back from the evil empire down in Dallas, right? You know what I'm saying? So is, but that's okay. That, that's all right. That's all right. Okay. But let's, halfway through the season, everybody, let's talk about halfway through the season, you know, Giants. If you're a Giants fan, or you're on, the, you're on the Giants, I mean, who would have picked them to be in the Super Bowl? Are you kidding me? The Giants in the Super Bowl, their record was terrible, but forget about the record. The Giants lost to the Redskins twice. Twice, my friends. Lost to the Redskins twice. Don't you think in that locker room, after that second loss, they said, hey, man, we're terrible. We're going nowhere. Let's just throw in the towel. We just lost to the Redskins. It's obvious that we aren't going to make it because we have gone so, we have sunk so low. Do you think they were thinking about the Super Bowl at that time? What, 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 did, what, what did they say? What, so, so this past week, you've been watching ESPN. So what did they say? Man, how did you guys come back after losing the Redskins twice that you're in the Super Bowl? What did they, what did all the athletes say we had to believe in ourselves when nobody else would right how many times is their coach called how many times has that guy been on the firing block i mean they're ready to get rid of him and they're in the super bowl again here's the thing i want to know what is it that's going to help us to persevere through the tough times second corinthians chapter four paul says we've been pressed down we've been crushed but we've not been abandoned you know, we, 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 we've been wounded, but we have not been destroyed. And after he says that, he says something really cool. He says, but it's, it's faith. It's belief. It's our belief. It's our faith that keeps us going, that keeps us persevering. So please write this down on, on your blue outline, all right, on that uh, bulletin. Our faith helps us to persevere. So important. So important that we understand this. I want to be a person of perseverance. I want to hold the line. I want to stand my post. I don't want to walk away and leave. 
I don't want to leave the things that God's called me to. I don't want to leave the things that I've made my commitment to. I want to stand my post. Faith is what's going to help me to do that. Think about that. If I'm standing my post and there's tremendous adversity, I'm going to have to have a lot of faith in the person who told me to stand in the post in the first place. Does that make sense? So God says, Paul, I've called you to preach to the Gentiles. Go out there and do it. Now, he's out there preaching and people are picking up stones. <laughs> Whoa. How long do you think I'd be standing here if somebody's picking up stones out here? You understand what I'm talking about? How long is that going to go on, right? So why does he keep doing it? Because he has tremendous faith in the person who told him to preach in the first place. Why do you need to hang in what you're doing? Why should you keep persevering through all the difficulties you're facing? Why should you continue to be a person of character? Why should you be a person who continues to follow the principles and the guidelines that are in the Bible? Why should you do that? Here's the only reason why you should do that. Because you have tremendous faith in the person who told you to stay in the post in the first place. If I don't have faith in the person who told me to stay in the post in the first place, I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm checking out. So the Bible says stuff like this. Think about it. The Bible says you should pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. But check this out. What about when there's no answers coming? So you're praying, you're giving your heart. You're just like, woo, just praying your heart out and no answers are coming. Or how about this? You're praying about something and that thing you're praying about is getting worse, not better. It's getting worse. Like the reverse effect is happening. And God says, pray without seeing. You're thinking, this is stupid for me to keep praying. It just keeps getting worse. If I stop praying, maybe it'll get better, right? But the Bible says, pray without ceasing. The only reason I'm going to keep praying when I'm so busy with my schedule, having a hard time carving out that time, is because I have a lot of faith in the person who says, Stand that post. Stand that post. Keep praying. God says a lot in the Bible. He calls us to a lot of stuff. And I got to have all kinds of faith that God, God knows what he's talking about. And I should do this. He says, you know what? You should watch your attitude. Well, I don't want to watch my attitude. My attitude's fine. Your attitude's messed up. But my attitude's just fine. God says, you need to watch your attitude. You need to check your attitude. What are you doing? I got to have a lot of faith in the person who's telling me to do that. Or I won't do it. God says to me, you need to repent of your sins. Well, I'm not really sure that I'm much of a sinner. I know how you're a sinner. It's so easy to see. The whole world knows how you're a sinner. But me, I've got to have a lot of faith in the person who says, you need to repent of your sins. I've got to have a lot of faith. God says, pray for your enemies. Are you kidding me? The last thing I want to do is pray. I'll pray God send lightning bolts out of heaven, but that's not what he's talking about. If I'm going to pray for my enemies, I better have a lot of faith in the person who's telling me to pray for my enemies the bible says stuff like this stay away from people who drag you down first corinthians 15 33 bad company corrupts good character Man, i better have a lot of faith in the person who's telling me to do that because those people i hang around with are dragging me down they are just some kind of fun to hang out with you know what i mean you understand their jokes are a whole lot better than the other people i hang out with they don't drag me down you understand so if i'm gonna give that up if i'm gonna give all that up then i better have a lot of faith and the person who told me to stand that post, to stay on that wall. Study the Bible. 119 Psalms, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's all about meditating on God's word, studying God's word, digging into God's word. Well, what about when God's word, what about when the Bible, everybody, is frustrating, confusing, upsetting, I can't understand it, and I don't have time to study it? I better have a lot of faith in the person who told me to stand that line bible talks about all kinds of stuff that affects my money my calendar my time my priorities my sexual life if i am going to persevere and hold the line i have got to have a lot of faith if i don't have faith i'm walking away is it pretty clear isn't it if i don't have faith in the person who told me to stand in the first place i've no that i'm walking away plain and simple i'm not persevering at all so what helps our faith 
here, I need to write this down. Our thinking helps our faith. This is really important. Remember, all we're trying to do this morning, everybody, is track. Paul was a person of great perseverance. He was a person of great perseverance because he was a person of great faith. Paul was a person of great faith because he was a person of great thought. He was a great thinker. And all of his great thinking and his logic and his reason led him to be a person of great faith, which led him to be a person of great perseverance. They all connect together in the life of Paul. Our thinking. Great faith is the result of great thinking. If we don't have enough faith, we're not having enough thought. We're not thinking enough. We need to think more. Maybe you've heard this said before. You know, somebody will ask a question to somebody else. Or maybe it's been asked of you. And maybe you responded this way. I've probably responded at some point in my life this way. So somebody say, why do you believe this way? And I'll say, oh, I just do. <laughs> I, just, I just do. What do you mean you just do? Well, I just do. I just choose to believe. I just, just do. So, so your faith, your belief just kind of rises out of thin air, right? Just do. Yes, exactly. Is that the biblical way for faith to grow? Is that, does, that, would that, does the Bible support that? I understand where that's coming from. But, but maybe everybody, maybe there's just a twinge of kind of intellectual laziness possibly there that then is undermining the faith. Maybe. Okay. Let's look at what the Bible says. Hebrews 11, 3. All right. Where does faith come from? Great faith, hall of fame, the big chapter of faith in all the Bible. Here's how it begins. Hebrews 11:3. 3. By faith, we understand. Let's stop right there. By faith, we understand. What is this, another way of saying that? By faith, we think. We think about what? By faith, we think about this. By faith, by faith, we logically think about this. What do we think about? That the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What do you think about? What do you think about? You think about what? You think about the fact that we have an earth. That we have a universe. You begin to logically think about that. So what's it saying? Is it saying that your faith comes first and then okay then the fact comes second no no it's very simple think it's saying that first comes this huge body of evidence this universe with all of its intricacies that that there was once nothing and now there's something and that if everything did not go right science tells us at the very moment of creation, this whole thing would have never happened. And even scientists will say it was as if somebody guided the whole process. And God says, think about that. Think about that overwhelming evidence. It's not saying that your faith arises out of thin air. No, it's not saying that. It's saying your faith arises out of logic, out of reason, out of fact, out of things that make absolute sense. And saying you need to think more in order for your faith to grow more. This is what it's saying to us. Now think about this. Romans chapter 1. Paul is writing to a group of people who have chosen not to believe. They don't believe. And so he says this, he says to them, again he goes into creation. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God, check this out, what is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Here it is. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. What it's saying is, did any of us precede creation? I like, was anybody here before this universe began? No. None of us. I had somebody in the first service actually raise their hands. Yes, I was here before everything. So 
I wanted to stop and give you the answer before anybody mistakenly put their hand up and felt embarrassed. Okay, we weren't here. It's clear, we weren't here. This is creation. So the fact comes first and then comes the faith, right? You got sequence. Fact comes first and then comes. Sometimes we mistakenly think, oh, yeah, I just believe because I do. It arises out of nothing. And what I'm suggesting is, is that actually weakens our faith. It doesn't strengthen our faith. And it's not a good biblical argument. Can I just give you just a little common, little simple, goofy example of this? Okay, just real quick. So this, this, this girl who really wants to get married, right? This girl really, I don't know any girls like that, but this girl really wants to... <laughs> really wants to get married and she bumps into a guy on a street corner she's never met the guy she has no connection to the guy she has no knowledge of the guy they have no mutual nothing she's zero on information all she knows is she sees him they bump into each other he looks at her and says let's get married let's go right now to the justice peace and let's get married with any knowledge she knows nothing they get to the justice uh, peace and he says okay i want you to sign this document that says all of your finances are now mine like everything in your bank is mine everything's going to be mutually shared and what is her answer to, the, to this proposal she says what she says yes she says yes she knows nothing of his character she knows nothing of his debt she knows nothing of his stds she knows nothing and we say when she says yes what do we say about this young lady who says yes you are crazy some people might even say you're stupid some people might even say you're really foolish right that's really dumb and the bible says what what would the bible say about her bad tremendous lack of wisdom so everybody why in the world would we say when the bible clearly says that is not a wise jesus says before you go into a battle count the cost Hey, man, figure out what you're doing. Doubt all your eyes, all your teeth. You follow me? Get all this evidence, get it all in line, and then make a decision. So when, why would he say when it comes to faith, have nothing? No evidence whatsoever. Just jump off the cliff. Go ahead. Because God doesn't operate. For some reason, we think God operates. He doesn't operate that way at all in the Bible. Never does he operate. He always gives us evidence. And he says, off of this evidence, now jump. Now, let me give you an example of that. I've known my wife. We've been married 26 years. We met each other when we were about 12 years old, all right? So we've known each other a long, long time. We dated for three and a half years before we got married. And so we had this huge amount of information. We knew each other's families. We had all this information. She still didn't want to say yes when we got married, but she did anyway after three and a half years, all right? She still said yes. Was that smart? Would the Bible say, you know what, that was wise for you to gain all that information to go through that whole process? Would it say that? Would, go ahead. You can answer. What do you think? Yes, it would. You know why? Because that's the way it works. Because that's the way God set it up. So that's why God keeps turning back over and over and over again to the whole creation. Anytime somebody's lacking faith or hurting, he says, okay, let's go back. Let's start with a massive body of evidence, the biggest thing we've got, the biggest factual piece that we've got, because fact precedes faith. And then you step in. So we got married. Now, listen, we had all these facts. Now, we still didn't know how it was going to turn out. There was a portion of it like, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean... She could be crazy, right? <laughs> but we had done our research, and we were working off a body of evidence. So let's talk about Job for a second. So Job's going through a tough time. If you ever read Job's story in the Bible, he's going through a really, really difficult time. He loses uh, all of his kids, all of his kids die, and all of his herds and all of his wealth, and it's all gone. Now, physically, he's just absolutely a wreck. He's a physical wreck. He's sitting out on the curb in front of his house, and he's got this broken piece of pottery, and he's scraping the sores. And his wife yells out the house, just curse God and die, you old buzzard. What's wrong with you? Why are you holding on? Why are you persevering? And Job, and understandably everybody, my goodness, his faith is rocked. 
it's low. He's thinking about throwing in the towel, and he's like, God, what is the deal? How does God respond? Job chapter 38. Here's how God responds to him. Notice the first thing God says. Who is that? that who is this that darkens my counsel with words? Without, without what? What is he saying to Job? Job, you're not thinking. You're not thinking. You're not thinking. Let's think here for a second, Job. Perfect example of this. Let me break away for just a second. Perfect example of this. The story I just read from Acts chapter 14. So when he's in Lystra and this person gets healed, Paul, right? He's in Lystra, person gets healed. And they say, oh my gosh, Zeus and Hermes have shown up. They're sacrificing them. They're bowing down. They're worshiping. A few moments later, some people show up from another town and say, you know what? They're not gods. They're the devil. And they're like, oh my gosh, the devil is amongst us. Let's just pummel them rocks. Because that is a great example of non thinking faith when you don't think logically about what you're doing you can be led all over the place you don't persevere anything one minute we're sacrificing as their gods the next minute let's kill them makes absolutely no sense so god said who who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge now i like this next part brace yourself like a man it's good brace yourself like a man i will question you and you shall answer me now here comes the creation thing again we're going to a body of evidence where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. You notice what God does not do? He does not go to Job and say, Job, who's suffering, who's thinking about throwing in the towel, who's persevering greatly, whose faith is just yeah, it's barely hanging. He doesn't go to him and say, listen, you loser, just believe because I told you to believe. He doesn't do that. What he does is he gives him all this information, solid information and facts, logical things for him to think about. And he says, oh, wait a minute. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, right. Getting my head back. He says, Job, just think about it. I'll give you an example. Josh was up here a few moments ago, talking, our missions guy, talking about missions. We, about seven or eight years ago, and Josh talked about this about a month and a half ago, about his trip down to Brazil. And there's a, a husband and a wife, a mom and a dad, who just began to take kids in kids in that nobody else was taking in, kids who were emotionally uh, disturbed and abused, kids who had severe physical problems. And so they wanted to give them a home. So they're not an institutional orphanage. They just wanted to be a family orphanage. And one led to the other, led to the other, led to Now they've got like 33 kids. And we learned about them about seven or eight years ago, and we thoroughly investigated them. And after we investigated them for a solid year and figured out the, the missionary organization they were a part of and did all this kind of stuff, a team of people, 10 people from Grace Community Church, went down there and lived with them for an entire week. And they saw the family, and they loved on the kids, and they watched what they did, and they came back, and they were so excited, and they were just so pumped up about it. So they came back, and they were back here for about a year. And after a year, and we still correspond with this family all the time, they said, the family is building a house, which they desperately, desperate. They were living in just conditions that were so bad. They're and they're like 90% or like 80% of the way they were building the house. But they just need a little more money to get it done. How much do they, they need? $20,000. So, so what the team decided is we, as a church, need to send them that last bit. We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we felt so good about it. So, okay, we need a mule. We need a mule to carry $20,000 in cash down to this family in Brazil to help them to complete the task. And so the mule was me. So we decided, now, regulations, international regulations, you can carry $10,000 in cash on you. So it was me and my 12-year-old son. He had 10000 on him. 
I had 10,000 on me. It was awesome. He thought it was, the mo- he, like, it was a great adventure, you know. People were going to know it. You know, my wife was all, you know, man, people are going to know that you got that. How are people going to know that? I don't know, but they will. And they're going to, you know, it's going to be like they're going to, you know, hunt you down and try to kill you and take the money from you. So my son was all into that. It was awesome. It was this great adventure. We go down there, and I am all excited because this is a phenomenal family doing a phenomenal thing, right? They're doing this great thing. And I had in my mind this vision that I was going to, you know, get there, and I was going to see the dad. He's picking up there. Boom, here's 20 grand. Woo! You know, complete that house. And I got there, and he walked up. I put my hand in my pocket, $20,000 in cash. You know what happened to me? I became an emotional wreck. I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know you. I've never met you before. This is $20,000 in cash. I'm a tight person. I just don't go handing out $20,000 in cash to anybody. I'm not going to give you $20,000. I don't even know you. Who are you? So I didn't give him the money. We went to the house. He showed me the family. We spent all the rest of the day with them. Then all the next day, he's showing me the house and how it's almost ready to be complete. All this stuff. I remember going back to my room that they had me stay in. I go back and I'm just walking around the room. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. What am I going to do about that? I'm a very tight person. What am I going to do? How am I going to? I just, you know how I got over this? I started logically thinking myself through it. I said, now, wait a minute, John. What do you know about this situation? We've known these people for a number of years. They have a long track record with a missionaries organization. We had 10 of our people down here for an entire week. Everything we have seen about these people is solid and true, and they're people of high character. You're looking at 33 kids. You're looking at a house that is almost completed. I went through it logically. I went back over to the dad. I said, we are so happy to give you this $20,000 and to partner with you. You almost didn't get it, but you don't need to know that. But here here it is. This is exciting. What I'm saying is, is if we base our faith on emotion and not on logic and reason, we will not persevere. So it needs to be based on logic and reason. Please write this down. I am almost done. Faith rises from reason. It does not rise out of thin air. Everybody, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. I put four verses of Scripture for you to check out later. Uh, Two in Acts 17, two in Acts 18. And all it talks about is Paul reasoned with people. He reasoned with people. Why do I include that? Because, you know, what we've studied for the past couple weeks is that Paul went through serious, serious training as much as a preacher as he did a lawyer. And he was trained to give a diatribe. That's what it means when he says he reasons. So in those diatribes, what would he do? It was logical. It was driven by logic and reason, giving as if he was giving it to a court, right? Saying, here's the facts of why you should believe. You never see Paul standing up preaching saying, you know what? You ought to believe in Jesus because I said so. Never does that once. He gives very logical. That's who he is. That's who he is. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? When I was a kid, I did very little serious thinking about faith. But I had to put that behind me because it's time for my faith to grow up. And the only way for my faith to grow up is for me to start reasoning, for me to start engaging my brain and thinking very seriously. Great thinking leads to great faith. Great faith leads to great perseverance. The Bible calls us to engage our brain. Now, I'm going to go just one, one little thing because I know this is so popular to go through. And I can't thoroughly flesh out this entire argument. I just want you all to think about this for a second. 
many of you have heard this said before. Maybe some of you have said this before yourself. You said, you know, all religions are the same. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that. Uh, they're all the same. They're all equally valid. It's all the same God. I can remember the last time I heard that, I was at a wedding, and I was sitting right next to the groom's mother. And we were in this discussion, and like everything stopped, and she turns to me and says, hey, Pastor John, it's all the same, isn't it? It's, it you know, that's right. It's all, it's all the same. And I knew where that was coming from, you know, because it's kind of embarrassing to say, you know what, my way's right, and, you know, you know your way's wrong. And some people do with arrogance, right? And I understand that, and some people wrongly do with arrogance, like you should drop the arrogance when you say that, because we're never encouraged to do that, right? So, well, she says this, and I, there was a part of me so bad that just wanted to say, yeah, you're right, you're right, because I knew where she was coming from. I, I, it's a sweet thing to say. It's a wonderful thing to say. I want you to disengage all emotion for a second, and let's just rationally think about that statement. It's all the same. So you know that all these religions, a lot of good people. My little cul-de-sac I live on, we've got everything. Buddhist, Hindu, Unitarian, Universalist, Scientologist, Atheist, right? We got, we got it all going, all great, wonderful people. The core beliefs of all these different religions are diametrically opposed on many of their core beliefs. So what did I say to the groom's mother at the wedding? I said, yeah, it's all the same God, as long as you're okay with God suffering from multiple personality disorder. <laughs> I am not being mean, everybody. All I'm thinking, all I'm asking you is to fully, fully engage your brain. I understand it's a sweet thing to say. I understand it's a nice thing to say, and none of us want to be arrogant. I understand, I understand, I understand. Okay, I had a seminary professor who said that exact same thing. It's all the same. There's only one massive problem with it. You have to disengage your brain and rip it out and then say, say it because it makes no logical sense. Because the core belief of all these are so incredibly different. We have to think logically. This is what the Bible calls us to, please. It's what it, this is how we become people of strong, mature faith and then helps us to persevere under pressure. All right, we have to think about this. All right, let me let me let me wrap it up by you know by saying this. Here's the reason why I believe in the Bible. It's brilliant. It makes sense. It is practically true. Over now, I could give you a such a long list right now. Let's go through just a very very short list. The credit card companies tell you that debt is good, and the Bible says that debt is bad. Who's right? Right? The Bible says, how can two people walk together unless they agree? And now I'm faced with a situation where I'm dating somebody and I'm a follower of Christ and they're not a follower of Christ. And I really like them, so I want to date them. So I throw out the scripture that says, not a good idea. And I just believe in myself and I believe in all my friends and say, man, she's awesome. Date her. What does the data say? What does the data say? Here's what the data tells us. The data tells us this. And if two people come together and they get married, one's a follower of Christ, the other's not a follower of Christ, that the core similarities, if you don't have that in common, it's not going to be a fulfilling relationship. So the data tells us, scientific data says, not a good idea. Who's right? The Bible is brilliant over and over. The Bible tells us this. 
Pride leads to a fall. Pride is very dangerous. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, have you ever just like let your pride go out of whack? Do you know somebody who's let their pride go out of whack and it led them to a tremendous fall? I do. I do. Big time. Very, very true. All right, listen. Um, ladies, listen to this one, okay? I want to ask for some audience participation here. The Bible says very clearly that a man or a husband specifically should never talk rough and rude to his wife. It's totally unacceptable. It says the Bible says you should be considerate and you should love your wife as Christ loved the church and is willing to die for her and you should be soft and you should be gentle and should be compassionate. I'm going to ask every woman in the room, is that true? Is that true? Okay, you're doing just what the first service did. You're very, very weakly saying yes. So I say the same thing as that. When you come to me and counsel and he's a whatever, he's a jerk and other names that you call him because he's treating me, so I'm not going to help you out either, okay? Is it true, ladies? Yes. Men, I'm going to give you a better shot at this. Okay, I'm going to give you a better shot at this. The Bible says, men, it says that to the woman, that when you nag a man, it's completely unproductive to ever, ever nag a man. Men, do you have an answer? True or not? Yes. Thank you very much. Much better. All I'm saying, everybody, all I'm saying is the Bible is filled with tremendous practical truth. This works. My gosh, it works. It's that, and that's why I believe the Bible is brilliant. So when I'm going through adversity and the Bible says, God says to me, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to fight for you through this tough. Some of us are going through really tough times this morning. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be with you. And I can say, oh, yeah, I believe, because on a body of evidence, I believe because the Bible is true. It's true. It's true over and over again. So I put my faith in the Bible, and that leaves me to be a person of great perseverance. God wants to help us to persevere, engage our brains, grow our faith, and persevere, and then the Bible says a blessing comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the brilliance of your word. Help us. You know, we're all struggling with different things here this morning, but some of us, some of us in this room are deeply struggling. We're facing really tough time and we're hurting. Our hearts are hurting this morning. God, I want to ask for the person sitting in the seat this morning who is hurting so badly that, God, you would just, like a waterfall, that you would just fall upon them in that seat right now. And you would bring encouragement and help and hope and strength. That God, that you would let them know that you're with them and that you love them and encourage them. God, help us to make it through. Help us to strengthen our faith. Help us to understand. Help us to persevere. God, for some of us, that blessing, that reward that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for is just around the corner. Help us to hang on to see the blessing in Christ's holy name. Amen. We're going to close by singing, and I want to encourage you, uh, you know, you, when you're going through a tough time, there's nothing like having people who love you and people who've been praying all week, preparing for this very morning so they might pray with you, and that's our prayer team. Our prayer team takes very seriously when they pray with you, and they're going to be right over here. You want to pray with them. These are very sincere people who just want to see God's best for you, so consider seeing them. God bless you.